back. Hi. Hello and welcome to Knock Knock. Hi with the Glockenfleckens. I am your host, Dr. Glockenflecken. And I'm your co-host, Lady Glockenflecken. Oh, we're excited that you're here and uh, are going to spend some time with us today. We have a fun show for you. Dr. Eric Topol is going to be here. Yes, he is so interesting. Yeah, we, we uh, have been reading up on artificial intelligence and preparation for having him on and uh, I've learned a thing or two about a lot of different things he knows a lot more things about all this stuff and so all the things all the just uh, all the things yeah Uh, and um, and so you know it's it was a, a fun conversation with him before we get to that we just got back from a trip. We were in Florida. Went That's to right. Fort Lauderdale. Mm-hmm. Had and, a speaking gig. Yeah. And in Miami, spoke at a, a primary care conference. And uh, it all went, it was great. It was it was a fun trip, except for the fact that you had a rotting tooth in your it, mouth. Well, now it's not <laughs> rotting. Get your facts straight. Why don't you tell uh, everyone what you had here? All right. Well, so I did go to the dentist like the day uh, the before. The day before, the afternoon before we were leaving very early in the morning for this cross-continental plane ride um, because I was having a lot of, of tooth pain and I, I'm, you know, you're the one with the sensitive teeth. I don't really, my teeth hardly ever this bother me. This whole thing so. just gives me shivers <laughs> and This I, is I my don't, chance to get revenge. I don't handle teeth things very well. Yes, I hate the dentist. Yes, all the squeamish all stories. The out there. But your job sucks. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. The scraping and the... No. All right, go ahead. Okay, so it, it was giving me pain and there was like a, a, a bump forming. So I was like, this isn't good. I need to go get this checked out before we leave just in case it's something horrible. And it turns out it, you know, maybe maybe not horrible, but not great. Uh, the tooth was broken right at the root, just all the way across. Just clean break. I have no idea how it happened. Dennis said, usually there's like some impact trauma and, and people can tell you why, like when and where that happened. But gonna, I have things you're going to blame the I dog. I have no idea. The Probably dog. the dog. I mean, that is one of the things that the dentist said can cause this. Yeah. And I, that does happen. We have a big a dog. dog will paw you in the face sometimes. Um, but there wasn't like a particular time. But, you know, this particular tooth has given me trouble over the years. It's it's uh, It's got a crown on it. It's and had they, a root canal. And they wanted to do surgery to fix it they wanted day. to have me the next day yeah they wanted to have me come in the next day and have it extracted and and i get to have a bone graft mm. yeah got that to look forward to uh and then once that heals you know put in an implant but uh we of course had you were like no a trip, i'm sorry a i have keynote. to go speak as lady glockenflecken <laughs> in florida well that's that's not really how i said it or or what i said but i did say is it possible that we could wait a few days? Because I knew we had that speaking gig yeah. and then we had this interview with Dr. Eric Topol and I did not want to miss either of those things. So we, we we're putting it off until in a couple hours. I yeah, like, go and, dude, like and right get after we finish this, she's going to get her <laughs> But I spent the whole time. Tooth we talked to what? She said, I think, almost 2,000 people at the yeah. conference and we were a, a keynote and, um, you know, they had the camera and we were like, big on the screen and i spent the whole time just she, hoping that my tooth would not just fall out on stage because it's very loose in the there. only thing oh you'll love this the only thing still holding it in is the root canal okay it would have it would have just fallen off because you know right at the gum is where it's broken oh, so i'd rather have a cardiac arrest <laughs> well you did so i guess yeah. there you go yeah but it didn't it did not fall out on stage it didn't thank and God. it didn't fall out in this interview and and here it's still I there am. and you're about to get it fixed still here. and so last time you'll ever see this that. baby have fun with that all right well let's let's enough that's enough about the teeth all right <laughs> let's talk to eric topol so eric topol is a very fascinating guy yes. um he is the professor and executive vice president at scripps research Translational Institute. Yes, founder and director of the Scripps Research Translational Institute, and uh, does has done so much. He's had a very impressive career, a lot of other accomplishments as well. I think um, he's like literally written the book on 
AI and yeah, medicine. Yeah, and deep many medicine. Books and and AI, actually. He's got a lot of, yeah, several books. And so more, more, much, many more books than, than I've probably read in like the last two, three years. Because I don't read that many books. Mm -hmm. It's a low bar. Books. Yeah. You read more books than I do. I try. It's hard when you yeah. have kids these days. Yeah. People know. Anyway, let's get to it. We're excited about this one. So here is Dr. Eric Topol. Dr. Eric Topol. Thank you so much, Eric, for joining us. Uh, it's always a pleasure. I got to talk with you not too long ago uh, on your uh, uh, podcast uh, you were doing. And so uh, we're happy to have you on ours now. So thank you so much for being here. Oh, I'm thrilled to be joining you, Will. Uh, so I was uh, in kind of researching you a little bit and and uh, i was listening to a few interviews podcasts you've done and i heard something uh, a little bit alarming i heard that you haven't used a traditional stethoscope in years is that right, right? it's really true what do you use as a cardiologist a, that's 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 surprising it's like blasphemy i guess right um <laughs> no i i um I carry the stethoscope in my coat to look good so I can pass as a cardiologist. <laughs> well, I haven't pulled it out for as long as I can remember. The reason is I now use a smartphone uh, ultrasound probe. I used to use a handheld uh, device called the V-Scan, but that yeah. was replaced by all these smartphone probes. So now every patient I see in clinic, um, I do a uh, echocardiogram. And it, it's great because hearing lub dub isn't really as insightful as seeing everything and also showing it to the patient. Um, so within seconds, just with a little gel on the tip of a probe, um, you know, we're looking together at a smartphone and seeing everything you yeah. can imagine about the heart. And uh, it's really great because the number of people I have to send for an echocardiogram becomes very minimal, but the insightful yeah. information is just, it's extraordinary. Well, you and I have something in common. I, I also haven't used a stethoscope in years, but I'd say I have a little bit more of an excuse as an ophthalmologist. <laughs> but that's, do you see uh, that being impacting medical education? Because, uh, I mean, obviously, you know, a big part of learning the clinical exam is, you know, learning all the lub dubs and all the other extraneous noises that you hear. And I assume that's not going to go away, but. Um, and this has some applications with ophthalmology too, because we're such an imaging based, um, uh, specialty, but do you, do you see things moving in that direction where we're all carrying around echoes? Yeah, that's one of, one of my echoes? mistakes is that I thought we would have been there years ago. I, I thought that, um, we would have immediately seen that the stethoscope is obsolete. I mean, it still is useful. Like if you're going to innovate somebody, you're just checking quickly mm -hmm. for breast sounds or you're you're tr trying to listen to for blood pressure um, for the sounds. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I used to be a fanatic about teaching medical students and interns and residents to hear paradoxical splitting and all the fine sounds and <laughs> the bedside exam. But the bedside exam now is done through ultrasound. And, of course, it's not just for the heart. It's for every part of the body. Um, and I think, yeah. except for the brain and and perhaps the eyes, but you know, well, all depending the on who you talk to, yeah, yeah, yeah. all the body is so mm. amenable to high resolution imaging, and we should we should be doing that. The problem is, it actually has a much better uh, acceptance in um, the developing world uh, because mm -hmm. they're not so fixated about reimbursement. And they have uh, hunger for right. uh, leveling the playing field of technology. So the other thing that's really cool about it is now you can use the AI to help you acquire the image without even knowing what the hell you're doing. So, you know, <laughs> right. an eight-year-old, an eight like my grandson. Or an ophthalmologist. Yeah, 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 right. yeah. Could actually obtain an echocardiogram, which is the hardest one because all the motion. Uh, it says, right. you know, move up, move down. As long as you know, like, which is the left side of the chest and the, pa and the patient doesn't have situs and versus, you can actually get right. an echocardiogram without even knowing what you're doing and then get it interpreted with AI. It's wild. And it's, it's uh, what's interesting to me, you know, AI and kind of this type of advanced imaging, it, it's, it's an active area in ophthalmology. 
because uh, especially with diabetic retinopathy screening, I'm sure you are familiar with you know some of the AI work going on in that area, especially in third world countries. It's actually um, some places they're really on the forefront of, kind of introducing AI with uh, screening for um, for diseases that affect the retina. And uh, I, I have always thought that it would we really need this in our country a lot more, uh, especially in emergency settings, because nobody knows how to look in the back of the eye anymore. Uh, unless you're an ophthalmologist, you don't get that kind of training. And so, um, you know, I would love to see that in the eye space as well. You know, no, you're, you're absolutely um, right. Uh, ophthalmology is leading AI. Uh, uh, India is a pioneer in diabetic retinopathy and retina screening uh, with um, AI. So yeah, I mean, this is so so much uh, the other thing just to note is the retina is the gateway to the body so that the picture of the mm -hmm. retina or oct of the retina i mean you can learn so much about almost every system of the body just from that snapshot it's amazing i'm i'm impressed you threw out oct there you're familiar with the octs oh so yeah this well, is, uh, we, do, we, we do oct <laughs> of the coronary arteries but uh that's, oct oh, of true. the retina oh that's big i mean I, yeah. I, so uh, these are for those of people who don't understand. Uh, OCT is a is a really high resolution where you can get a really a cross sectional view of the retina, and it's especially useful in diabetic retinopathy uh, and other diseases that cause swelling in the retina uh, that are related to cardiovascular health. And so, um, being able to uh, have widespread imaging available for this. Um, is is just really helpful. I can tell you how many times I've I've been on call and just just I really wish this was present in the emergency department. And I think that's probably the future. I think we just like you have you know a handheld you know ultrasound that you're kind of going around and showing patients. I would love to have that um, uh, the ability to image someone's retina. So for the record, I hear that you're saying that you would like to have the ability to ultrasound the eyeball. That's well, what I heard. Uh, it's ultra, yeah, like a traditional <laughs> ultrasound is a little bit different. So, uh, Eric, you may not, I don't know if you're familiar, but there's there's obviously in, in the emergency medicine world, ultrasound is is very important. And so uh, it's um, it's it's a tool that they use frequently, especially with eyeball stuff. Mm. And so mm. that's something I'm I'm talking with uh, emergency doctors about a lot. And it's it can be helpful he picks in certain some fights with I them do about it. you know you know I, I've gotten drawn into some arguments on social media I'm I you're uh, probably very familiar with the uh, some of the pitfalls that come with social media because you oh, have a pretty yeah. good social media presence as well <laughs> right right no question but what I wanted to do uh, I want to talk stay on this AI topic uh, especially with chat GPT. Uh, and so I hope you don't mind a lot of the questions I'll be asking um, are generated by chat GT GPT. Is that okay with oh, you? Oh, I'm okay. just kidding. Yes. <laughs> sure. <laughs> That'd be interesting. Yeah, I, 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 <laughs> it would be. <laughs> but I, I'm curious what your thought is on this, because it seems like the topic of AI has really come into the public consciousness a lot within the past year. Uh, in part, it seems, because of chat G GPT. Everybody's playing around with this tool. And so I'm curious what your thoughts are about this tool and how do you see it kind of in the overall picture of artificial intelligence? And have you ever asked it what it thinks about you? <laughs> oh, I haven't done that yet. That's a good one. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think it's really interesting because obviously it is uh, the craze now and Everybody's talking about mm -hmm. not just ChatGPT, of course, but this whole large language models. I kind of see it differently than many people. Um, I just see it as taking the, what we had with deep learning, which the only mm -hmm. way we got the deep learning was having the graphic processing units that we've got from video games to manage, you know, massive amounts of data, uh, and uh, the ability, and that was using supervised learning largely, where you had to have the images, mainly images, that were um, basically got ground truths with expert annotation uh, in medicine mm -hmm. or any annotation outside of medicine. And so that together formed the year of deep learning. And what this basically is, is that on steroids where you have computing power taken to the nth power handling 
trillions of parameters now, even uh, hundreds of trillions of parameters. And you got GPUs, the, the likes of which, you know, we don't generally have in most places. That's why in some respects, mm. OpenAI had to join forces with Microsoft because Microsoft's got a lot of GPUs or, or TPUs with the case of Google to work with. So I, I see it more as, you know, big expansion of computing power. And the big difference is we're no longer relying on supervised learning. It's unsupervised, self-supervised. So basically using tiny right. amounts of pre-training and um, letting the computing power do a lot of the uh, the the learning. So what we now mm -hmm. see is not just images, but what of course is fascinating people is that you take text to right. video, images and video or speech, and um, you know I'd say uh, present this uh, uh, in, as in the style of Dr. Glamflecken, Glaucomaflecken, <laughs> and uh, you know uh, and tell jokes like, and all of a sudden it sounds like. But of course, it's kind of. Are you saying? Are you saying I'm going to be replaced, I, Eric? Well, is that is that what's going on? Uh, emulated. It's a, <laughs> a great, a great uh, form of flattery. But no, I, I think that the the the, the uh, what's amazing here, of course, is when it hits, it's stunning, because it, mm -hmm. it's using context of large language input. But it's still got a ways to go. I mean, we, GPT four, which is forthcoming, and and Sparrow yeah. and all these other ones, it's just, whatever we're seeing right now, it's just gonna get better. Um, and so I do think ultimately it's gonna have both the two-edged sword of you know ad advancing a lot of things and, and introducing lots mm -hmm. of liabilities too. Now tell me about those liabilities, I'm kind of curious about that well the fake stuff you know we live in this world of blurred truth and um, mm -hmm. fact free and you know it's definitely going to exacerbate that and so you know having avatars that look like any one of us that talk just like any one of us and say things yeah, that like we never deep, said yeah you know we're going to be right. seeing that and um you know so the fakeness no less the errors and the the um the, the, the misinformation, yeah. we, we live in a terrible era of mis and disinformation, and this just provides tools to take that to yet another bad uh, extreme. And so How do you see that affecting medicine and, and what can we do about that? Yeah, that's a great one because um, I don't think we're anticipating it as well as we should. Um, right. You know, with AI hasn't really made that big a dent yet in medicine. I mean, basically, it's lots of algorithms in radiology and a few other specialties. Uh, lots, otherwise, it's you know mainly in the research domain and publications and whatnot. But as it gets more and more into it, and so for example, uh, you know, we see it's a way to liberate from keyboards, and so uh, all of a sudden, doctors are no longer data clerks, and their spirits are uplifted because the conversation is now virtually scribed, uh, better notes than what we got, even with human scribe, no less uh, with doctors yeah. typing it themselves. And of course, it picks up the, uh, uh, the orders for tests and the next appointment and medications and codes and, you know, does it all the stuff that replaces the, the clinician. However, what happens when that goes cuckoo? You know, when we have glitches and when we have deliberate yeah. uh, hacking, um, and you know, the whole idea is why would we ever have to deal with pre-authorization anymore? We would have the the um, the chatbot do that for us. Uh, but what happens right. when when this all you know, software is 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 uh, glitch prone, and then take that to another level is when you have deliberate adversarial attacks. And what mm -hmm. we ha don't have in health systems now is any surveillance. You know, it's it's like trusting that the AI is going to work um, uh, in perpetuity. Well, <laughs> maybe not. So these are some safeguards <laughs> right. that are just not there yet. And so we we haven't seen the the, the adverse potential, but we have to be anticipating it. Mm -hmm. I'm curious too. You know how health insurance companies are going to come to interact with AI and. And what that's going to lead to, and I mean, probably nowhere good, I would think. Do you have any thoughts about that? Well, the first yeah, thing I you start thinking about, yeah. 
You start thinking about the yeah. chatbots talking to other chatbots. You know, it's going to be really <laughs> yeah. interesting right. because they're going to have their their algorithms for you know not covering things, which is what they're so well known. Exactly, for. that's kind of what I'm uh, thinking of. Yeah, yeah. and and yeah. and the doctors or the the people and working with doctors and nurses. I mean, they're going to have their version. So it's going to be really it's a collision of algorithms. Uh, no, yeah. I mean, it's, it remains to be seen, but but clearly insurance companies are going to be heavy into this uh, because yeah. right. their efficiency, as you know well, uh, most of the um, workforce in healthcare in this country mm -hmm. and most industrial industrialized nations have been in non-patient uh, care people. They've been all these administrative people that deal with things like insurance providers. Right. And we can't, we can't, uh, coders uh, and all these things, uh, back office operations. And of course, that's what largely accounts for ridiculous costs of healthcare. So we've got to do much better. Mm -hmm. This is a way to get there, but it remains to be seen, you know, how well it'll work. Yeah. Do yeah. we see insurance companies investing in these spaces yet, or is that... It's they happening move already. Very slowly. Yeah, they, they, they move like a battleship yeah. <laughs> uh, and change in direction. Right. So, United Health was kind of on a path. They had a, a very progressive strategic group, and then they got all let loose. So, they were going kind of backwards. Uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield, uh, not yet. Uh, you know, I think maybe CVS, Aetna, uh, because they're kind of. Uh, trying to do big things it's but none of the big ones yet have done anything uh, of substance so far and on, and on the the healthcare professional side you know so much of our time and effort is in getting the documentation just right to be able to send to united or cigna to say hey this patient needs this test or this treatment um you know, I've crossed all my I's, dotted all my T's. You have to imagine that that's something. Hopefully, you did that the other way around. Cro cross my <laughs> cross my T's, dotted my I's. Did I say that wrong? Hey, yeah, 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 yeah. You get what I you get what I'm saying. Hopefully, maybe you know AI can do a better job of that than I can. Um, but you know that that's that's one obvious you know, uh, you know thing that you can think of would be helpful is making sure you have that documentation right in order to maybe decrease the amount of insurance denials. But then on the on the flip side, it's like, well, now you're just, you know, you're you're putting so much time and effort into, you know, I, I guess you still have insurance dictating what you're doing. Yeah. And and that's Clash a frustrating thing as well. Like and so, right. Right. Um, yeah, it's uh, it is kind of scary. It seems like this is all progressing so much more rapidly than than we know what to do with. Like it's almost like we're flying blind. It seems. At times, yeah, it's like we're I mean, not it'll, sure. it'll, it's it all you know the this this the signal of the large language model era really only was felt in the last few months, and it's it's going mm. to get more. Uh, it, it, obviously, it wasn't set up to do the things you're just talking about uh, to uh, mm. basically go through all of a patient's records and tee it all up and and. Uh, mm -hmm. I, it, we're going to see this happening undoubtedly uh, in the next year or two to, to, to a substantive level. So I think um, there's a lot of potential here as long as we keep our guard up that, you know, it's not um, something that it, the human in the loop part is going to be right. critical. We, whether it's in actual care of the patient or these ancillary aspects, um, that, that's never going to go away, the importance of it. I'm also interested in how this might, both the language learning models and AI in general, how it can affect medical education. Because I don't know if you heard that Chat GPT just recently passed step one. Yeah, yeah. Well, which, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, first of all, you know, when you when you <laughs> if you only need sixty percent to get passing to pass the U.S. medical license exam. That doesn't seem very like a very high threshold, right? Sixty <laughs> percent. It's so, just step uh, yeah. one. That's why there's so many steps. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. also course, classically, yeah, one of the harder so ones. So both both uh, Google's Palm, MedPalm, and uh, Chat GPTs uh, both did that recently. Um, and yeah. yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting because um, the the part of memorization of mm -hmm. of the the deets the details that stuff is of course um, going to be comparable or better 
in in computing than in than humans. Uh, but mm-hmm. it's it's all the human stuff that we need to emphasize more. And we haven't done that yet in education. Medical school, as you well know, it's uh, what yeah. was your grade point average and what was your score in your MCAT. And unless you do exactly. adequately on those, you don't even you know get past square one. So we we cultivate brainiacs that memorize really well and are. You know, interpersonal skills, communication, presence, trust, empathy factors. I hope that's going to be highlighted a lot more because the support yeah. of of us in in medicine uh, with computing is going to keep getting better. Uh, but are we going to keep emphasizing the things that are not as important? I don't know. And it it's um it's also. Uh, you know, a, a, a big focus, I know in, in the work that you do, is f- making time for us to cultivate those things, you know, that, that, that were a part of medicine, you know, years ago that have, that have gone away in the, in the time of kind of increased demands on, on a clinician's job and, um, you know, pulling us in so many different directions with our time. Uh, yeah, and... so you're speaking specifically of like the the time with the patient doctor yeah, patient right, relationship. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, well before you two came into the world, um, when medicine was <laughs> a very different era. When I was just getting out of med school, you know, late '70s, early '80s, uh, there were uh, typically a very precious, intimate relationship. That patient doctor relationship you know you always knew the doctor mm-hmm. had your back and you know you could get in touch with that person to help you uh in any situation and they listened uh, they didn't interrupt you within seconds and they had time much more time multiple four or five tenfold time to sit with you and mm-hmm. we don't have that now because of the big business of medicine um and it eroded steadily over the years and we, we can get back to it. The gift of time that you referred to is the ultimate to me of what AI could, could bring us if we, if we really push on it. it. It won't happen by accident because we, we have overlords that want us to, to see more patients and read more scans and slides and whatnot. So it has to be that we work together to advocate for the, the getting the relationship back to where it was or even better than it was. Maybe I'm just maybe I'm just cynical, but it just seems like with with a an ever growing population, it just seems really hard that we could ever get to that point again. You know, because I, I, there's I don't I, know. I, you could be right. I, I try to be optimistic that <laughs> I like a lot, that a lot of the, the, we need we need people like you. We need well, optimists. you know, a lot of the simple stuff um, is going to be algorithmically supported. So if it's uh, you know, a ear infection of a child or skin infection or potential skin cancer, urinary tract infection, a long, long list of stuff that will be mm-hmm. determined screening doctorless with algorithms, mm-hmm. persons capturing their own data. And then a lot of video visits for routine things that are quick and just saving the important meetings uh, when you in person when it's, you know, right. big stuff. So I, I do agree with you that uh, with the increasing comorbidity and burden uh, the population. Uh, we have to come mm-hmm. up with new ways to address this, but we have to think about that relationship, which has been seriously right. hurt over time. Do you think that the erosion of that doctor-patient relationship and the loss of time together um, and the subsequent loss of trust, perhaps, that that brings, do you think that has contributed to this epidemic of misinformation now, especially in the medical realm, and that maybe if we can repair some of that, that we could get back to a little more? Like you said, we're living in a time of blurred truth. So do you think that this could could help that issue? Absolutely. And I think it's essential. It used to be that uh, clinicians were regarded as the most trusted individuals, and that's taken a big hit over time. Partly because they don't, they many patients feel that they don't get the kind of uh, attention, uh, care, the true care mm-hmm. that they deserve and need and 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 want so badly. So I hope that that will come as, as you as you suggested. Yeah. Yeah, and maybe maybe also breaking down some of the silos that exist in medicine. That's one thing I've noticed. You know, from the patient family perspective. It's not very interdisciplinary right now, and and sometimes that can make things, um, you know, inefficient at best and really problematic for the patient at worst. So 
hopefully this, you know, the use care of for AI families will... as, as well. Or... Yeah. And it just, you know, you have to have five different appointments with all the different subspecialists and they don't communicate very well across specialties. And, you know, it can just introduce, um, you know, an additional burden onto the patient, let alone it gives opportunities for human error and for information to fall through cracks. And nobody is seeing maybe potentially nobody's yeah. seeing the greater pattern that might exist, especially in some of the more complex, you know, diseases. Um, so it sounds like this could be promising in that kind of area as well. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think getting um, different discipline expertise in the room with a patient and the patient's family uh, when that's appropriate is a part of this gift of time that is essential um, rather than, you know, having these multiple appointments with redundancies and, you know, all sorts of things that are unnecessary. So, yeah, if we're going to do this right, we know what it takes. And having transdisciplinary um, fusion of effort is is really critical. Well, I'll tell yeah. you, I, I, I would have a lot more time if I just spent less of it on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> Can it help with that? And so I don't I don't know, uh, Eric, if you if you have TikTok on your phone, if you don't, I, I highly encourage you to avoid that. OK, it's, I it's haven't a, done that a, yet. I, OK. I, All right. Yeah. But I, I know you have a big presence there, along with the other social media. I mean, the, your well, your sense of humor in medicine is unbelievable unprecedented and so yeah tiktok would oh, be great I appreciate for you that. right well i i honestly <laughs> think that social media i mean because you had you have a you have a big following on social media too that's the first the first uh time i actually heard about you was on twitter and seeing some you know content come through so uh and i i think that's going to continue to be more important just because that's where patients are and and I think there's actually a lot of AI work that's going to hit social media as well in, in like predicting virality, like what makes something go viral? What are the things that people are paying attention to? And I think that's important for healthcare professionals because uh, that's that's where patients are. And yeah. so uh, and, and we'll we need trusted healthcare voices to battle all that misinformation. Yeah, social media is kind of an extension of the doctor-patient relationship. Yeah, in, yeah. In some respects, and the problem we have really is we don't have many choices there. You know, when mm. when Twitter has been threatened with how it's going to run and get politicized more, and then there is no other real platform that you can reach to patients and help to provide good information. So hopefully yeah. over time we'll either see, you know, better... Uh, alternatives or the ones that we have will be more functional and less um I, I think unfortunate right now is that you know we've seen um some trouble troubling aspects of of twitter where you know bringing back some of the masters of misinformation okay you know that 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 wasn't particularly yeah. in the midst or the tail of a pandemic you know it's not the kind of stuff we really need yeah well, let's take a quick break, and then we'll come back with uh, Dr. Eric Topol. Big thank you to all our listeners. Spread the love. Share this podcast with everyone right now. Go. Share it. Share it now. Let's do it. <laughs> Leave a rating and a review. You can be honest with us. I've been on social media long enough. I can take the criticism or the happiness. If you want to give happy thoughts, yeah, that's good, Yeah, we like too. it when, when people share their happiness. Later today, we're going to share some of your own medical stories. You can share yours, not, not high at human-content.com. We have a Patreon as well. Hang out with other members of the Knock Knock High community. Early episode access. Check out bonus episodes, including this whole other monthly show that we do uh, where we react to medical shows and movies, like uh, anything from House to mash to monty python all kinds of stuff uh next week we have a new monthly eye exam That's coming right. out all right so look out for that let's get back to dr eric topol all right we are back with dr eric topol so eric uh, i wanted to just do something here uh which i think might be kind of fun maybe not i don't know i assume it's going to be fun uh so uh it's this little game that i call can ai do this can ai i'm just going to okay. throw out some things and then i want we'll talk about okay whether or not this is like an actual thing that can happen uh with the use of ai maybe now maybe like 20 30 years from now maybe we'll be able to tell the future i don't know um 
But one thing, whenever AI, the topic of AI gets out there, uh, especially on social media, there's always some talk about replacing physicians, replacing healthcare workers. Is that, is that ever in your mind a possibility that some kind of doctor, ophthalmologist, radiologist, internist could ever be replaced by AI? Yeah, I, I really don't see that. that. Um, it may, to some extent, limit the growth of a, a specialty. But, uh, you know, it, when I tried to put a lot of thought into this, when I wrote Deep Medicine, and radiologists were the ones that were, you know, the father of deep learning. Jeffrey Hinton says, we don't need them anymore. Well, guess what? We do. Um, because obviously you don't, you don't want to trust, um, an algorithm that to interpret a scan that could be determining a patient's life or death. Uh, but more importantly, this gives an opportunity for specialties like radiology to take on things that they haven't done, which is actually talking to patients because they're the ultimate, potentially, you know, honest, independent broker, like, do I really need this surgery? Um, yeah, or, you know, did they, did they really want to live in the basement in the dark and have patient contact? But also, what about all these scans that are done yeah. uh, unnecessarily with radiation exposure? Shouldn't they be more gatekeepers? So any way you look at it, there's a way for that specialty to take on other uh, facets of care that they don't necessarily today. So I don't see any specialty being X'd out, but it is possible that um, that with the support, augmented efforts of AI that that we wouldn't need as many or, you know, when I did the UK review, it was more, can we get away without having to, you know, train a gazillion more uh, specialists, that kind of thing. Hmm. Um, well, as so as basically what I'm hearing is as long as the humans are smarter than the AI. Yeah, and also so most we'll, of us, we can... there are exceptions, but most of us would rather entrust uh, the, the physician with a key decision rather than the output of the of the AI. Yes. Um, so that human in the loop factor, now I know some people, particularly computer scientists, that say they rather trust the algorithm, but I don't think that's the typical scenario. Uh, based on what I've seen from chat GPT, I think, uh, I think we're safe <laughs> right, in a lot right. of ways. So, <laughs> all right, here's, here's another one. All right, can AI make internal medicine rounds more efficient? That's a hard sell. I know. Can, do you think we can cut down on rounds by a couple hours oh, at least? Oh, yeah. I don't know. No what question. are your thoughts? Well, especially, you know, think about the poor medical student or intern resident has to go around an hour or two before starting at, you know, five, six in the morning to get all the data together. Yeah, yeah pre-rounding. Pre right, the AI pre do that yeah. much better, of course. That should be the yeah, first also, thing to go away. Also in the that rounds, be the first you know, thing with to go the, away. the people that are trying to be, you know, the show-offs about knowing the literature. The AI will have a total command of the literature <laughs> to that moment. Um, so no, there, a lot of that stuff will change. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's a, a great opportunity that rounds will be infiltrated with support of AI. Because right now, you know, a lot of, at least right now, I say that it's been like eight, eight years since I was a part of internal medicine rounds. But, uh, you know, there was a lot of, oh, let's, you know, stop for a second and look this up. Let's get on up to date. Let's. And so, you know, are, are we moving to a world where you can just, you know, verbalize a question and then it's just, it's there. Or maybe, maybe AI is listening to rounds and pulls up, you know, automatically kind of brings in information into the conversation in real time. Oh, yeah, it would. I, I mean, just like you're know. bringing up really good points. So, you know, the attending would say to the team, uh, what is in the differential diagnosis? And the, the uh, chatbot will, after, they, after they've all talked about it, well, you haven't considered such and such. And the probability of that's 38%. <laughs> yeah. And here's right. why. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And even the tenant oh didn't God. think of it. You know, so sure. I, you know, one of the things that we have to respect is we make a lot of diagnostic errors. And that's where having command of all the data and all the literature, uh, we can be uh, supported for that. Be better, sharper, yeah. And that was going to be my next ask about whether AI, what AI can do is, can it help us to diagnose like some of the more complex, the rare diseases 
that, like you said, maybe we're not thinking about, you know, connective tissue diseases that are yeah, sometimes really EDS. like EDS or yeah, other things that are just more difficult to diagnose. Um, Idiopathic cardiac yes. arrest. Yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like that's why do those thing. happen? We don't know. Maybe right. AI can figure it out. Like what I've what I've learned through my recovery from my cardiac arrest and talking with other survivors, it's it's actually relatively common for young people to not really well, have an you know, answer. This this one drives uh, me nuts yeah. because we have almost ninety seven percent of the people who have a defibrillator put in never use it for their life, the rest of their life. And how can we be that dumb? And then all the people that could, should get a defibrillator who then have uh, this uh, arrest who don't have mm -hmm. that benefit. So we have to get smarter with that. And that likely will happen when we understand all the things like, you know, the genomics and the image processing and, you know, all the pieces, the, the so-called multimodal AI. So I think we'll get much better but um, yeah, our ability now, the problem is when we don't know a diagnosis, we send the patient for every lab test known to mankind. We do these, you know, wow. uh, hunts uh, that are absurd, that are very costly and also taxing to the patient, sending them for, you know, this and that. And we can cut down a lot of that, um, you know, waste and kind of rabbit hole stuff. Mm -hmm. We, we can be much sharper yeah. uh, about how we process uh, uh, a uh, possible, you know, entertain a differential diagnosis. Well, I think, I think part of that, though, it might be the human element. Like we're, we're just, we're afraid of things that we don't know and we don't understand. And, and so I think maybe part of the reason we do these workups is because we're chasing after, uh, you know, extremely rare diseases. And so could AI be this, I don't know, in some ways more a more detached observer that is just looking at the statistics yes. of, okay, this X percent chance of this. And so it's not worth it yes. to do this, this thousand dollar, ten thousand, hundred thousand exactly. dollar workup. No, I think that's where okay. the long tail of all these, you know, unusual conditions and syndromes and whatnot, that's going to be a big mm -hmm. plus for, because unless you've seen one of them, or you're you're familiar with it, you'll you yeah. easily could miss that diagnosis. Sure. Well, another one that we we talked about a little bit already is can AI eliminate insurance claim denials? Uh, I have my <laughs> doubts. There, I think they're going to find a way around yes. it. Um, and uh, I, I think we're going to so put a dent I, you know, in it. Though I don't know. I think the the the, the bird. <laughs> you think so? Teeing that up on the on the clinician side will be less. Whether they'll be able to. Do you think it'll make uh, it? No, whether oh, sorry, they'll be able ahead. to ante up is going to be interesting. But <laughs> Right. <laughs> Do you think that'll make it a little more transparent, though? I mean, if it's all going to be algorithms, you know, going back and forth to try to beat who can deny what, somewhere someone has to be able to read that algorithm. So do you think that it's going to make it a little bit easier to kind of learn the strategies that are being used to just deny everything? And, you know, I'm thinking of that ProPublica article that just came out Um Looking at the Looking inner at workings the of yeah, the insurance companies. Yeah, it's going to make the inner workings maybe a little bit more visible because it has to be literally written down somewhere in yeah, code. Yeah, we have to crack that code. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's true. I'm sure right. they will protect but, that but, with their I, You know, lives. I think um, <laughs> the insurance companies, um, are their, their reputation that has been so adversely affected by denying uh, people's coverage that they are entitled to. And so... You know, I think the momentum with this power of AI will help to some degree, but we'll have to just see how it plays out. The, the power of insurance companies um, yeah. is uh, is overwhelming. Uh, obviously, um, you know, it, it probably couldn't get worse than it is. So, I, again, I, I always try to – my default is to have some optimism that we can improve this. Oh, man. But I, I, I share your concern. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm with you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I hope to God you're right. I hope it can't get worse. Um, and the, the last thing was just again with this something we kind of touched on earlier. Do you think AI can make medically themed comedy skits on TikTok? That's a good one. I don't know. Well, I guess we'll find out, right? Uh, you know that that might be the the last thing because there's so many more important things for I, AI I to do. I think the reason uh, is maybe after it's, all it's, that, the training from you, it's going to be you know. 
it's it's got power. Yeah, yeah. You'll, yeah. you'll be the they're input. Gonna, they're going to the be AI. looking at all your <laughs> TikToks and all your oh, man. Um, skits, and you know, I'm going to. That's way too much power yeah. for you to have. <laughs> I'm, we're, I'm gonna, we're in trouble. I'm replacing myself. There's probably AIs <laughs> well, listening. Is, is to there, is there a, 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 a specialty you haven't hit yet? Because it, I'm sure it could have transfer learning for that. Uh, in, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Actually, that would be really helpful. Help with your research. Uh, I haven't oh, hit there plastic you go. surgery yet. Mm. Yeah, I need uh, I need that. I need AI to help me with that. And um, get a lot of radiation. What is it? Radiation, radiation oncology. oncology. Yeah. yeah. I I I I'm missing the specialties that I have rarely, if ever, right. interacted with. Now I've interacted with cardiologists yes. a lot. I'm aware of that. Uh, and um, <laughs> yes, yeah, so that's, shows that's, in your content. That's my go-to. If ever I run out of ideas, I I know I can always uh, hit up cardiologists for something. So that's right. <laughs> well, it sounds like it's a good time for doctors to um, get a, a side job in computer science or learn some computer science. Uh, it sounds like. Maybe there will be some new job opportunities opening that we need physicians to be able to, you know, help these That's algorithms That's a great point developed. for everyone to get at least some knowledge. Uh, I yeah. think this is going to take more place in our lives than a lot of people envision and have to understand the nuances, not necessarily, you know, how to code or getting deep into it, but, you know, just what if it's, it's potential limitations, the caveats are really important. Well, thank you so much for joining us, uh, Dr. Topol. Eric, this has been uh, uh, you know, no, a pleasure I, 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 to I thought you were going to ask my most embarrassing event. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, oh let's, I had let's it already hear it. for yes. you. Absolutely. Uh, so, right. Let's do it. Okay, let, let me so hear it. Let's go back Absolutely. to uh, 1984, a <laughs> long time ago. So uh, at the time, uh, you know, I was... Uh, well, not not too oh. long ago, Doctor Topol, because you see, that's yeah, the year go. I was born. Right. That's what I mean. So. A long time ago. Uh, that's right. So oh, no. uh, anyway, I'm at Johns Hopkins, uh, the cardiology fellow, and uh, I was very much involved early in this uh, clot busting drug called TPA, tissue plasminogen activator, and so we treated the first heart attack patient ever with TPA in 1984, February 1984, oh, wow. almost to the day of this interview. Really? And um, wow. anyway, uh, Johns Hopkins wasn't really known as a heart attack center. And so they wanted to have a press conference that we treated the first patient in the world with TPA. And because yeah. I was a fellow that had been working hard in this, you know, I was part of the press conference. Now, in those days, we had to do a cardiac catheterization first to and take a picture of the artery to mm, show the blood clot. Okay. And then we could give the medicine in, in the vein. Of course, eventually that led to you just give it in the vein from the cardiogram. You didn't have to have the angiogram first. But remember, this is the very first patient. So the most embarrassing thing to happen to me ever in his, my history of medicine was at the press conference. So the Baltimore uh, newspaper, um, the Baltimore Sun, uh, the normal uh, journalist, a woman, was sick that day, and they sent in this guy who'd never done any medical story or maybe any story for all I know. So he says, well, Dr. Topol, <laughs> oh, yes. um, you know, how, how do you do this catheterization and how do you how do you do all this? And so I explained it to him about the, you know, we put a catheter in the groin and numb up the groin area, put the catheter in the groin, and, you know, take pictures of the arteries. So in the front page of the Baltimore Sun the next day. It said, Dr. Topol explained how the catheter is inserted into the genital tract and, and, and snaked into oh, the no. heart without any pain for the patient. Oh no. And, and little did I know, I had invented the field of urocardiology. Um, and, uh, you know, a day in infamy. Um, so anyway, that I learned a lot That's from awesome. that experience. Uh, oh, I learned man. that, you know, you have to be really oh. careful how you communicate to a journalist who don't kind of look at you like, what's the groin? You know, maybe you should say, no, the yeah. groin is not the genital tract. But anyway, um, I thought, I, I thought well, you've given me a, you've given me a great idea oh, for, a, for a skit. Yeah. Thank you. I, I thought you'd like that. that story because it really, it was, it was terribly, you really, you, can you imagine the people that contacted me after reading this article? Oh uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I no, bet you didn't no. hear the end and of that. All these for a years while. later, I'm still I still hear about that one. 
<laughs> well, it made you the science communicator oh, that you are today. So oh, there you go. Good, tough start. <laughs> are you happy with? Tough start. Are, you, are you happy with where TPA is now? About where, how many yeah. years later? Like forty years later. Oh, now, right? You? No, we're not going to say <laughs> almost, how many exactly. Uh, yeah. Almost. No, almost. I mean it kind of gave way to you know just opening the artery with a balloon catheter directly over time. But at that time. That wasn't really um, uh, in play, but it's still being used to treat heart attacks and strokes, uh, along with other clot-dissolving medicines. But um, you know, it, it was it was a very exciting time to be uh, in medicine, but and also to learn yeah. about how you can make big gas without even trying. Yeah. How, how did the 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 first uh, we'll say the first. 10, 15 patients you use TPA on. It was actually it amazing go? because we didn't even know what the freaking dose was. And most of the clots opened up. <laughs> so the funny thing you're asking about is, and this is what's so crazy, when you inject the artery with dye, it's under pressure. You're just shooting dye. So we probably were opening some of these arteries with the dye, not through the medicine. Oh. So we were helping it. You see, we were like massaging it for the, t the low yeah. dose of TPA. Yeah, yeah. So it was working like in almost every patient. And then... So we thought, well, gee, this this thing's really potent, and we could, you know, getting the right dose and figuring out this whole equation of, um, you know, when you just give it in the vein and you don't have uh, a catheter in the artery, we had to learn that. It took a while. It took more than yeah. the first ten or twenty patients, but eventually we got the right dose. But it just shows you how when you do a contrived wow. thing, where you you know you have this extra yeah. aspect that wasn't part of the practical way of giving the medicine it buggers things up and it obfuscates uh, what's going on wow that's great i love that story yeah <laughs> who knew that's awesome <laughs> um you know what? we're gonna keep you on actually for uh, we have a couple of fan stories mm -hmm. so our um, listener so, mailbag so we'll take a quick break we'll be right back with those <laughs> All right, we are back uh, with Dr. Eric Topol. So, Eric, we're gonna we have a couple of stories here. We want you to listen to these uh, with us here. So, the first one um, is from Riley. So, Riley says, uh, "We've always joked in my family that my dad, a classic ortho bro, is the worst patient. I'd say most doctors are. Yeah, really terrible patients. Very bad. He rarely gets sick, but when he does, he absolutely refuses to be taken care of. He was particularly non-compliant as a neuro ICU patient." It's probably no. not the place you want to no. be. I'd be on, I have trouble there. After waking up and getting extubated, he started demanding that we give him a syringe. My mom and I were confused, but he was adamant about getting that syringe. We asked his nurse if she knew why he was so fixated on it. He wants to take out his Foley, she said. Mm. My dad didn't know what year it was, but he knew he wanted to take <laughs> out his own Foley catheter. <laughs> Obviously, no one ever gave him that syringe. He made a full recovery. Uh, and so we constantly tease him about his antics as a belligerent well, I, I'm ICU patient. I'm impressed with his cognitive um, state rather than just pulling the darn thing out without right? taking the balloon down, you know? That's yeah. an excellent point. I, you know what? It's I don't I don't think I've ever told you this, Kristen, uh -oh. but when oh, I no. when I woke up in the ICU, yeah. That was I that was one of my first thoughts. To take out your Foley. No, was do I have a Foley catheter? <laughs> Because that's like something I've never wanted to have. And I was, I was, I remember like thinking, oh, no, what's going on down there? Do I have, what's my situation going on? Um, and so I probably would have been very much like this doctor. I'm sure you would have. <laughs> All right. Our next story uh, comes from Ava. So, or Eva, sorry if I got your name wrong there. Uh, so, we did a, there was a, a previous listener story about cockroaches that were found mm -hmm. in a call room. Mm -hmm. And so this prompted another story from her. So before I started doing urgent care, I was trained in family practice and worked in a small rural practice in Maine. My partner says that while on call, he received the following phone call from one of his older patients. Doc, I'm out to my, I'm out at my hunting camp and I just drank a pot of coffee. When I went to make another pot of coffee, I discovered there was a dead mouse at the bottom of the coffee pot. What Ooh. should I do? No. My partner says he was so taken aback that he paused and said nothing. Not sure how to answer. The patient then said, you know, don't worry, doc. If I grow fur and a tail, I'll call you back. <laughs> was this so, a farmer? <laughs> I, it sounds like a farmer. Uh, but uh, this uh, just ends this uh, note by saying, I can't help but wonder how you cannot taste essence of boiled mouse ooh, in this ooh. situation. So gross. 
This uh, the the mouse was cooked in with the coffee Hopefully pot. Hopefully, it was, it was in very there. hot coffee. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Not sure what kind of infectious diseases you're opening up uh, with that situation, Maybe we might but have that's to turn a little to AI outside. To figure that one out. There you go. <laughs> that's, that's right. <laughs> Ask it what to AI do when you drink boiled mouse. <laughs> so, if you guys have any stories, send us your stories at knockknockhigh at human contentcom Dr. Topol, Eric, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, I really enjoyed it. it Keep really up was. the great work so you fun. two are doing. And uh, what a thrill to have a chance to have this conversation, hopefully many more in the years ahead. Oh, at some oh, point, I, hope... I, just, I want to hear more like TPA type stories. <laughs> I, 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 I I'm sure that, a few uh, more, I'm sure. <laughs> you've, seen a, you've seen a lot of medicine over the years. And so, uh, but and again, thank you for taking the time being here. Thank yeah, you. we really appreciate it. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Well, that was great. That was fun to talk to. to yeah, so fascinating. Eric He's just so knowledgeable about so many different things in medicine. So, oh. uh, and there was so much more we could have talked to him about I and didn't know. even scratch the surface. So maybe we'll have him back on sometime. Um, so, do you have any stories to share? We're, we we would love to hear them. Please share. I we, I love hearing the stories from people because there's like there's just so much of that. Uh, so many weird things. A mouse at the bottom of the coffee yeah. pot. I, what would you do in that situation? Oh, scream. Throw the coffee pot. Yeah. These are just things I know about myself. Th- those two things would happen coffee. immediately. But <laughs> I don't know what I would do. And then maybe try to make myself throw great. up. I think I would try to throw up. It would, yeah. That would that would be a decision to make. <laughs> uh, but at that point, it's like it's already going through your system. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, you just... That's something you'd probably like wake up in the middle of the night thinking about. Well, though, he didn't like, seem too later. bothered, though. Yeah, so I guess hopefully so. it all turned out all right. Um, and uh, tell us what you know about the episode today. Tell us what you know. Tell us what do you know about our episode? <laughs> no, what do you think? Uh, do you know somebody, another doctor who we, or, or any other healthcare professional who could come on and uh, you know chat with us? Uh, there's lots of ways to hit us up. You can email us, knockknockhigh at human-content.com. Visit us. I'm having trouble talking all of a sudden. Visit us on our social media. Uh, we are on uh, uh, YouTube, t- TikTok, mm-hmm, Twitter. Twitter. Uh, and also, you can hang out with us in the Human Content Podcast family on Instagram and TikTok at Human Content Pods. Uh, thanks to all the great listeners out there giving wonderful feedback and awesome reviews. We're in the beginning stages of this podcast, so it's nice to get that feedback. If you subscribe and comment on your favorite podcasting app or on YouTube, we can give you a shout out. So we have Hobgirl79 on Apple said, I am a current medical scribe at a children's ER with various medical career experiences over the last 20 years. Planning on applying to medical school in 2025 and really love listening to this show. It really rings true to my experiences and is great to listen on my way to work. Keep up with more podcasts. I will continue to listen and tell others. Thank you so much. That's very kind. And congratulations on uh, uh, applying to med school and on being a Jonathan. That's right. Uh, So... All of our episodes are on YouTube, full video episodes every week on my YouTube channel at D Glock and Flecken. Uh, we also have Patreon, lots of cool perks, bonus episodes where we react to medical shows and movies, hang out with the Knock Knock High member community. We're active in it, posting videos, polls, jokes, Pictures, comments, videos. all kinds of stuff. You said videos. Uh, and I did, <laughs> but more video, more and more. Early ad-free episode access on Patreon, interactive Q&A live stream events, lots of things. Uh, Patreon.com slash Glockenflecken or go to Glockenflecken.com. Speaking of Patreon community perks, new members shout out, Laura Lee M, Betsy H, Maggie S, Joan I, Corin B. Thank you. Thank you and welcome. Also shout out to the Jonathans. We have Patrick, Lucia C, Sharon S, Omar, Edward K, Abby H, Stephen G, Rosk Box, Jonathan F, Marion W, Mr. Granddaddy, Caitlin C, Brianna Ellen, Becky. Uh, a, a virtual head nod to you. Patreon Roulette. This is when we take a member of the Patreon Emergency Physician Patreon level and give you a random shout out. So I'm going to do my little uh, drum roll. My little drum roll. Shout out to Joan I. Joan I for being a patron. Thank you, Joan I. 
and uh, also thank you to everyone for listening. We are your hosts, Will and Kristen Flannery, also known as the Glockenfleckens. Our special thanks to Dr. Eric Topol, our guest for today. Our executive producers are Will Flannery, Kristen Flannery, Aaron Corny, Rob Goldman, and Shanti Brook. Our editor and engineer is Jason Portizo. Our music is by Omer Binsvi. To learn about our Knock Knock Highs, program disclaimer, and ethics policy, submission verification licensing terms, and HIPAA release terms, you can go to glockenfleckens.com or reach out to us at knockknockhigh at human-content.com with any questions, concerns, or jokes. Or jokes. Puns. Or puns. Preferably uh, if you puns. Have to. Uh, I'm not a big fan. Knock Knock High is a human content production. <laughs>